Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Persons Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is 515-602-9655. Yeah, I can hear you just barely, not very loud. Okay, let me turn it up. Is that better? Ah, that's better. Okay. Uh, hi, this is Ed Gravelin, and uh, I'm a Catholic apologist here in Vista, Arizona, is where I live. And uh, I wanted to tell you all about a few questions, things that happened to me when I was young. Uh, to start with, um, I was uh, a child of six children, kind of got lost in the shuffle. My father studied to be a Jesuit priest for 12 years in St. Louis. My mother was an opera singer, and uh, I was the fourth child and kind of got lost in the shuffle, did whatever I wanted to do, played basketball, and I uh, got a scholarship to Northern Arizona University. Well, the first summer back, I went and got a job at a place called Marie Callender's. I had girlfriends in Flagstaff, Arizona, where Northern Arizona University was, and I had uh, girlfriends in Los Angeles. And I was doing bad things with them, and I was smoking pot and doing all kinds of bad things. And I worked as a cook at a restaurant called Marie Callender's. And uh, Marie Callender's is a place that has good food. They have lots of pies and everything else. And I was a cook. Uh, A friend of mine who ran the place, he was the general manager. His name was Jeff. And he asked me to work for him. So I did. So I worked as the cook for three months. And then once August the 3rd, uh, 1975, (laughs) long time ago, he asked me to close up the store. And it was a Sunday night, and I asked him, uh, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And he said, well, just coming back when it's slow, and I'll show you what to do. So it got slow, and there was another cook in there with me. And it got slow, and he showed me what to do. He showed me first how to count the money. You know, you put the bills in a $100 stack, 100 stacks. And then uh, he said, I said, where do I put the money when I finish counting it? He said, you put it in this uh, safe, and he flipped the lid open on the desk, and there was a big concrete block safe underneath there, and it was open. The safe was open, and I said, I don't know the combination to the safe, and he said, you don't have to know it because I'm going to leave it open just like it is now, and uh, uh, he said, just put them all, all the amounts on this piece of paper here, put that in there, and then the coins you just put in this plastic bag and put it in and then spin the dial four times because the, the the combination is four digits long. So I learned how to do that. Then he, I said, what else do I have to do? And he said, you have to do the time cards. So he showed me how to do those punch time cards that had, you know, if you do 5.6 minutes or five, four, five, five, five hours and six minutes, whatever you, uh, you, you punched it in and you, you found out how long they stayed and then you put it down how much they, they put down. So I uh, went back to my kitchen 
need to closing. So me and my friend cleaned up the kitchen, and then we went to. Uh, I went and, and let all the busboys out. I let all the waitresses out. All the, uh, everybody out, uh, and I locked the door behind them. Then I went into the little cubby hole of an office and started to count the money. And the money I counted up, there was almost about $5,000 in there. Back then, they used to give us checks, too. And there were checks in there. So I had to count those as well, too. But um, I uh, put all the money in the safe and put the coins in the safe and spun the dial four times. I remembered to do that. Then I did the time cards. I did about five of the time cards. And then the door behind me, the little cubbyhole office door, opened up behind me. There were three men there standing there with ski masks on, a thought-off shotgun, a handgun, and a crowbar. Found out later on they used the crowbar to break in the back door. They said to me, open the safe. And I said, I don't know the combinations. I'm just a cook. And they hit me on the head with the crowbar and put the gun in my forehead and said, we're going to kill you if you don't open the safe. So I said, okay, um, let me think about this. Um, so I said, uh, I really am just a cook, and I do not know the combination. And then they hit me really hard with the crowbar, so hard that blood splattered on the wall next to me. And uh, I said, I really don't know the combination. So I, I decided then to try to open it, even though I didn't know the combination, even though I had no clue on anything. And um, so I tried to open the safe, and I failed. And, of course, then they hit me on the head with the crowbar, and they put the gun in my forehead and said, we're going to blow your brains out unless you open it. So I tried again, and the same thing happened again. They hit me on the head with the crowbar. They put the gun in my forehead and said, we're going to blow your head off unless you open that safe. I said, look, there's, there may be a combination in the file cabinets. There was file cabinets there. So they pulled the file cabinets and just threw all the papers all, the, all over the place. And there was, you know, there was no way they could find it. So they kept beating me and uh, kept putting the gun in my head, said they were going to kill me. And finally, after about 40, 45 minutes, after I tried to do it about 30 times, they said, uh, I, I told them, I said, look, there's a hand truck in the back. Why don't you get the hand truck and wheel it home and blowtorch it open? So two of them went in the back. They went in the, the way back. And, and they, uh, uh, the, the third guy set me outside of the office and into the kitchen on a metal folding chair. And he had the handgun in my neck. And he said, you have one last chance. Uh, no, he, he said, um, uh, I watched them get the hand truck. They pulled the safe out of the little office and into the middle of the kitchen. And they tried to pick it up and put it on the hand truck, but they couldn't. It was too heavy. So, so then they said, um, we have one last chance. Uh, they put the shotgun in my forehead. They clicked it back. I thought I was dead. And they said, you have one last chance. Then we're going to kill you. So I walked over to the safe, which is now only about four feet away from me, got on one knee, spun the dial, left, right, left, right. And the safe opened. And when it opened, I went, oh, my gosh. Because I had said an act of contrition before that. <laughs> Has asked, asked God for all, sorry for my sins. And uh, when I did that, when it opened, they pulled the bag of coins out and broke open, and nickels, dimes, and quarters flew everywhere. Then they said, instead of the, they could have said shoot them, but they didn't. They said knock them out. So they started hitting me on the head with the crowbar. I put my finger back, and they hit my finger, and they crushed it. And uh, I went down. I never got knocked out. But I closed my eyes, and um, I waited till they left, and I found a dime, went outside to the payphone and called 911, and an ambulance came and took me to the hospital, and 
I spent uh, a few days in the hospital, had many stitches in the back of my head, and changed my life. I went back to Northern Arizona University and on the basketball team, and they sent me down to Phoenix to get my head checked to make sure that I was okay. And I was. And uh, the doctor told me, he said that, uh, I said, how come I didn't get knocked out? He said, because you had adrenaline in you. And adrenaline changes, uh, you know, gets you super strength. And, and so, um, so that's why I didn't get knocked out. But I went back to Northern Arizona University and started playing basketball again. And then um, I got invited by a friend of mine, well, a teammate of mine, a guy named Greg. He said, Ed, I've seen a change in you. Would you like to go to a Bible study? And I said, sure. So I went to a Bible study. Uh, it was Wednesday mornings at like 6 a.m. And there was a group called the Navigators that were teaching us. The Navigators uh, were people who were Protestants, and they went on to college campuses and taught the Bible. So we went about two or three months, and then uh, we got to the Last Supper in the Gospel of Matthew. And this, this teacher says to me, uh, Ed, you're a Catholic. You don't really believe that that's Jesus' body and blood, because if you did, you'd be a cannibal. And I didn't know. I was, I was just, you know, <laughs> just beginning my life with Christ. And, and I was, so I, I said, I got to call my dad. So I called my dad that night. And my dad, I said, hey, dad, um, this guy says we'd be a cannibal if we have communion. And so he says, uh, why, does, does that teacher believe that Jesus is human or divine? And I said, divine? And he said, well, that's what we have. We have his divine flesh and his divine blood. He said, furthermore, you should read John's Gospel, chapter 6. And I said, Dad, what's in John's Gospel, chapter 6? And he said, just read it. <laughs> so, I, so I read John's Gospel, chapter 6, the Bread of Life Discourse, about six or seven times. And what stood out to me you know, Jesus saying, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. He said that four times. And then uh, they said, um, and then he, they said um, on John 666, it says, then they went back to their former way of life and walked with him no more. They left him in John 666. So I had some ammunition to go back. So next Wednesday morning, I went. And I said, hey, last week you said we'd be cannibals, but we have actually Jesus' divine flesh and divine blood. And since you don't believe that, you belong to the John 666 club. Well, the teacher, he looks at his Bible, he opens it up to John 666, and he says to me, uh, Ed, I don't think we need you in this class anymore. He kicked me out of the class. So this uh, all comes to... A big head when uh, about five years ago, I was at a uh, conference, uh, a, a Catholic men's conference in Tucson for the Diocese of Tucson. And the, the teammate of mine, Greg, Greg, came up to me and he said, Ed, what are you doing here? And I, I had my table for St. Paul Street Evangelization, all the brochures and medals and everything. And, he, and I said, Greg, what are you doing here? You were a Baptist. And he said, well, it all started about 40 years ago when you said we have our divine flesh and divine blood. <laughs> and uh, uh, since he didn't believe that, John 6, 6, he said, that made me start to think. And now I am a Catholic deacon, and I'm in charge of the finances for the Diocese of Tucson. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. I said, I got lots of stories to tell you. Because when I was... Uh, living in Las Vegas, uh, I went on the strip in Las Vegas, and uh, I, I brought a guy named Patrick Madrid to our church to, to talk and everything, and he told me something that was very amazing. He said, um, uh, um, how do you know your interpretation of scripture is true? And the Protestant says, I know because the Holy Spirit guides me to the truth. 
And I said, so you believe that everything you read, you can understand it fully and know your interpretation is correct? And he said, yes, because the Holy Spirit guides me. Then can I ask you a question about this? And he said, sure. I said, if I were to ask you a six-word sentence what it meant, could you let me know if you truly know what it means? He said, yes. I said, here is the sentence. I never said you stole money. I never said you stole money. And he said, that's easy. It means you, uh, you, it means that I never said you stole money. I don't get it. I said, well, what if the person saying it said, I never said you stole money, but my brother said it. Or he said, he never said you stole money. He just thought it. Or I never said you stole money. I said your sister stole it. Or I never said you stole money. I said you embezzled money. Or I never said you stole money. I said you stole a car. I said, there you have a simple six-word sentence with five different meanings. And you believe you can interpret the entire Bible? Is that why someone has to give you the meaning of Scripture? And why you have that, that, that is why someone has to give you the meaning of Scripture and why we have a church that has been doing that for us. And it's been doing it for 2,000 years. Well, the guy told me, he said, I guess I don't know how to understand the Bible. <laughs> so, so that's what happened. And um, I also had a person who, who said to me, uh, uh, I was evangelizing here in Sierra Vista, and he gave me an email. And he said, here's 10 reasons why I am not a Catholic. Well, I, I sent him 10 reasons why I am a Catholic. I said, number one, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. Just one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, says in Ephesians 4, 5, and the first Timothy, it's 3.15, it says the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And two, authority. In Matthew 18, there's a story of someone who has a rift with someone who knows and uh, who he knows, and Jesus says to take two friends with you. If he does not listen to them, then take him to the church because the church has authority. Because Protestants believe where two or more are gathered, there's Jesus in the midst, and that can be a church. But uh, now what, what Jesus said in Matthew 18, he said, take him to the church after having two friends with you. And then uh, number three, when Martin Luther did his Reformation in 1517, there were over a hundred new church started teaching different doctrines due to their interpretation of Scripture. In 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says to Timothy, As I urge, when you are going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. <laughs> So and that's what Protestants do. They all have these different doctrines. You know, once they were always saved, or the rapture, all these other things. The 27 books of the New Testament, one at 28, one at 32, or 25. The church had the authority to choose those 27 books to make up the New Testament. And the Old Testament was set, as Jesus and all the biblical scholars agreed, that Jesus and the apostles used the Septuagint, which had 46 books. In 382 AD, Pope Damasus wrote all the books of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, to put into one book. And that's when the Bible was formed, in 382. And then the Mass. Uh, the six saints witnessed angels at every Mass. They also saw Christ on the cross above the altar. Throughout the world, no matter what religion, altars are found relating to worship. No altar, no worship. A group from Chicago put together the mass complete with angels. If you go to YouTube and look up the veil removed, Google search the veil removed witnesses, you will want to see who saw this. And then there's a, a saint we had that died in 1968. His name was Padre Pio. He was a priest in the Catholic Church who had the stigmata, the wounds of Christ in his body, and he was seen in two different cities on the same day. He could bilocate. He was known to tell people their sins when they went to confession to him. Hundreds of people would line up to confess to him so they could get, their, get told their sins on their souls. Two men from purgatory visited him also, and they asked him to pray for him. 
So purgatory is real. That's why Paul said you get tested as through fire. And the Eucharist. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus said he is the bread was the bread of life. Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. The verse where they left him because they didn't believe in him was John 6.66. Then they went back to their former way of life and walked with him no more. And the mother of Christ, Mary, the Blessed Mother, she has appeared on earth 13 times. Miracles happened. Cultures changed when she appeared. Look up the miracle of the Son or Lady of Fatima or Lady of Lourdes or Lady of Guadalupe to learn about these miracles. I uh, uh, Locally here in Sierra Vista, there's a friend of mine who has a, a, a website and a Facebook page where he does videos and stories, and he asked me to talk about Our Lady of Fatima. Our Lady of Fatima, I mean, in 1916, the angel uh, and he was of peace, but he was actually the angel of um, of Portugal. And uh, uh, I've read stories about the angel of the United States, who is a huge, humongous angel, powerful. And uh, so angel of Portugal came to these kids. They were only six, eight, and nine years old, just little kids. And in the, in the, he first appeared to them in the, in the uh, spring and then in the summer. And in the summer, he had a host and a chalice. And he had the host above the chalice, and he had blood dripping into the chalice. And then he gave those children Holy Communion. They had, they had um, Holy Communion where uh, Lucia, the oldest one, had the host, and the two younger ones had the chalice. Now, also, uh, the early church fathers... These are the same people who lived with the apostles and wrote the same time as the New Testament books. Ignatius of Antioch wrote in 107 AD, where the bishop is, there is Jesus Christ and there is the Catholic Church. That was Ignatius of Antioch, who was a pagan before he became a Catholic. And then he was so smart that made him a bishop of Antioch. When he was a bishop of Antioch, he got captured by the Romans because there was a lot of persecution going on at the time. Ignatius of Antioch, when he was riding up to Rome to be eaten by lions, that's where he wrote this to the Smyrnians, where the bishop is, there is Jesus Christ, and there is the Catholic Church. And so all the sacraments can be found in the early church fathers. There was no sola scriptura, no sola fide found in the early church. And if you want to see uh, why a thousand Protestant pastors and other leaders and other religions became Catholic and why they left their income, you can go to chnetwork.org and see those guys talk about why they did that. It's amazing what's, what's happened in that. So there's so many things that, that I've said. And now, um, uh, let me see. Let me see. There's so much here. Now, there's uh, authority is very, very important in the church. Today, we have half of Mormons are ex-Catholics and half of Jehovah's Witnesses are being ex-Catholics. Forty percent of evangelicals are ex-Catholics. So we need apologetics to get them back. Um, the way you do this is by questions. It's called the Socratic method and what Jesus used. A good example is Matthew 21, uh, verse 23 to 27. Um, it says, When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And they said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From, was it from heaven or from from um, from heaven or from men? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, they will say to us, "Why did you not believe him?" But if we say from men, we are afraid of the multitude, for they all hold John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, "We do not know." And Jesus said, "Neither will I tell you what authority I do these things." 
So the questions are the best way to share the gospel. When you ask questions up front, you can get an idea of where they stand in faith. Atheists or agnostic or Eastern religion or Islamic or Jewish or Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or Evangelicals or Baptists or Episcopalians or Pentecostals or Lutherans or Methodists or a host of other Christian denominations. So it's, 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 it's amazing when you start to ask really good questions. And that's what's very, very important. You, you know, Ed, just a, a good point for me to kind of step in here because what you're saying is the crux of what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do here at the Poor Persons and what you're trying to do at Catholicism Rocks. Yes. Because we have... I'm just going to be as blunt as I can be. Here's why we're losing the battle uh, to a lot of the Protestant denominations, to, like you said, Jehovah's Witnesses and, and the Mormons and the SDAs or whatever the flavor of the week happens to be. Even to non-denominationals, even to those who don't affiliate themselves with any particular religion. Here's yeah. why we're losing the PR battle. We have a better message, but they have better messengers. Yes. And, and this is a, a, because we are not, you know, there are a lot of people that say that the Catholic Church has to change with the times. And I always push back against that. Yes. Except in this case. This is a case where the Catholic Church does have to change with the times. They have to change with the times in the way that they're getting out the message. They have to realize that the average attention span of a person is 144 characters. Um, (laughs) As far as drawing them into the conversation, we have to use the mediums like blog talk radio and Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and all these other mediums to grab the attention of people Uh, and we're not going to, you know, uh, I, I, I have lots of friends who write books. I love to read books, right? But you're not going to read, you're not going to reach the average 18 year old with books, the average 20 something with books, just not going to happen. They may eventually, they may eventually read the books if you draw them in, but you're not going to draw them in with the books. No. So. Uh, I know you're a member of St. Paul Street Evangelization, yeah. and um, we're trying to, with, with Terry Delp and our Taking It to the Streets program, we're trying to basically adapt that same, that same uh, theme. So I, I want you to talk a little bit. We started last week, and I want you to talk again about some of the things that Catholicism Rocks is doing specifically in order to really kind of get – get the message out to a, a broader audience, there's nothing wrong with our message. Our, our church is a church of light. It's a church of joy. I'm yes, blessed to be Catholic. I, I love our, our church. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. But our messaging has, let's face it, our messaging has been awful, and especially under this uh, particular papacy. I love Pope Francis. I hate the messaging that comes out of the Vatican. It's been awful. It's been terrible. The, yes. uh, we, we're, we're losing the PR battle. So talk about some of the things that Catholicism Rocks is doing and some of the ideas of what they're going to be doing to kind of help us take control of the messaging. Okay, I will do that. Uh, one of the things that Catholicism Rocks has is they have rosary rallies, they have call to action, pro-life, they got discussions, they have a priest who put some wonderful articles on there, Um, and they have so much, um, uh, that's just on their forum part. They've got videos and blogcasts on their blog spot they have articles about uh, the devotion to Mary, writing guidelines. They've got uh, all about Catherine of Siena. Um, they've got the folly of our ways, how to add tithing and almsgiving to your life, uh, real presence um, of Jesus stays with us. They've got uh, so much. Um, 
They've got from the church to the wallet, Catholic social education and personal finance. So they have a lot of things that will help you financially as well, too. They've got um, um, a lot of um, Good Friday, about all about Good Friday. They got uh, kooky Catholics. <laughs> so they've got so many things. Catholic sexuality, um, uh, Veritas. Um, they've got uh, March Devotion. They've got um, Lenten Rosary Rally and Chaplet Challenge. Um, you know, prayer is the basis for anyone who wants to be a saint. The saints prayed and prayed and prayed. And this website, Catholicism Rocks, has lots and lots of prayers in there for you to pray. I know I put one in there, this one that I say after communion. It's not the Anima Christi. It's a different one. And there's also one that you say before communion, um, which is which is wonderful. Um there's so many things that they have. They got the healing prayer for Padre Pio on there. Uh, they got St. Thomas Aquinas's after communion prayer. I wrote, I put that in there. Um, and uh, I put down which church is the church. Mm-hmm. So and let's so, start with the theme of prayer. Yeah, prayer is uh, communicating with God. Mm-hmm. And when you communicate with God, uh, you don't always have to do the talking because, you know, when I wrote a book, uh, I asked God, I said, I can't go out into the streets. I can't do anything because of COVID. So what could I do? And he said, write a book. And I went, what? (laughs) It was like put in my head. And I went, okay. And so, so that's what I did. Uh, You have to be sometimes quiet when you go to adoration and you start to pray, you, you can pray for people, you can pray for things, you can pray for things in your life, but it's always good to just sit quietly and look at the Eucharist, and he looks at you, and know that he is talking to you, because that's what happens, and it's amazing when you have something like, you know, write a book, and your brain is all of a sudden hit, and uh, the book that I wrote, you know, I don't know if I told you, it's called How to Save Money on Your Car Loan and How to Get to Heaven Too. The car loan part is good for young people because they buy cars. And I have a lot of good information in there for that. And then I have on How to Get to Heaven Too. And I use the car part stuff into the heaven part mm-hmm. as well, too. So that was uh, a book that's really been good for for young people. All right, so um, let, me, let me start here. Yeah. Somebody on the other side says, okay, so so you have this omnipotent God, all-knowing God, and and he already knows everything that we need. So why why do we have to why do we have to pray? Why do we have to tell God what we need when he already knows? Why doesn't he just give us what we need? Well, how would you answer that? Because God does know what we need, but he wants to hear us say it because we have a free will. And the free will says, oh, God, I want to talk to you. I want to tell you what I what my needs are. I want to tell you how much I love you. I want to tell you how much I worship you. I want to tell you how much I thank you for everything you've given me. If you thank God, honor him, worship him, he is more likely to help you with your personal needs, which even though they have to be his will, because his will is how you get what you want. You have to do his will. And the closer you, the more you pray, the closer you get to God, and the easier it is to to do his will. Because that's what, how it works. That's how all of it works. Because his will is everything. And, and ultimately Ed, what is his will ultimately? To get closer to him. A lot of people, they pray, they say, hey, God, I, I want to pray for this. I want to pray for that. I want to pray for this, for that. And God doesn't answer them. And so what do they do? They leave the church. They leave God. They leave God. Mm-hmm. So he didn't answer me how I supposed to, how he's supposed to. But if you all of a sudden say, God, I want to do your will, 
and you do his will, then you get closer to him. That is what his will is, to get closer yeah. to God. So anything he gives you is to get closer to him. See, see I, start with, I start with this. This is what when I tell family and, and friends, especially those who are struggling with their relationship with God. Yeah. I, I start with this point. God has only infallibly promised you one thing. There is only one prayer that you can make to God that is absolutely, infallibly guaranteed to be answered in the affirmative. Yes. Okay? And that prayer is, God, will you give me the graces to get to heaven? Will you give me what I need to get to heaven? That is the only prayer that is guaranteed to get an answer of yes if you pray it with sincerity, Mm -hmm. sincerity of of mind, sincerity of purpose. Okay? Will you cure my Aunt Betty of her cancer? Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Will you help me land this job? Will you help me keep my house? Will you help me with my relationship with my wife? Will you help me restore my relationship with my kids? These are all things we pray for. promise you that God's going to provide any of those things for you. I hope he does. I hope he does. And And if he doesn't, I can't tell you why, except that we have to have faith that his reasons are his his divine will and his divine providence is being worked out through the larger picture. That's exactly right. When we you need say, to understand that everything is his active will or his passive will, and sometimes he allows difficult and painful things to happen in our life in order that he may bring the greater good from them. Exactly. So I would say that anybody is struggling with a prayer life, and we got Lewis, I'm going to bring him on here in just a second. I would say that anybody struggling to try to reestablish a prayer life, let's start with two prayers. We'll start with two prayers, and then we'll build on that. And the two prayers are in the morning, you offer a morning offering, you offer all your prayers, supplications, sufferings, joys, sorrows, everything to God for that day. Absolutely. And at night, before you go to sleep, you recollect everything, every time during the day where you fell short, and you offer an act of contrition. And I would say those two prayers are your starting point, and you build on that. Let me bring on Lewis, if you you don't mind, Ed, and get get his comments on that. Absolutely. Lewis, what's your comment? Good afternoon for the prayer life. Um, From my own personal experience... It's very healthy to start out with just simply um, the beauty of having the Catholic Church started by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is they do the work of establishing a, 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 a daily reading for us every single day. Um, and you can start your prayer life with that, listening to the, the gospel read by the Catholic Church uh, every single day. You know, every single day goes over, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, events in Scripture. And that, um, listening to a homely, and um, praying the rosary. And again, um, the nice and beautiful thing about this is it can be done right away. Um, when I, you know, was out of my prayer life, I started with this. And then before I knew it, it became just a daily part of my life. Hello? Yeah. No, um, I'm, we're listening to what you're saying. That's exactly um, right. Ed, on the, uh, and the the other thing about it is this: people need to understand that you know people have two wrong images of God. There are two wrong images of God that are prevalent in Christianity, and one of the wrong images of God is uh, Jesus did all of it on the cross. I don't have to do anything. The whole thing is paid for in full. I don't have to do anything except accept it. That's one wrong idea. Yes. Uh, and then the other wrong idea is, is that I've heard from Catholics is this notion that, well, 
you know what? I, I, I messed up really bad. Uh, and I haven't been going to confession in church and, uh, you know, because I messed up really, wait, wait, what? What do you mean you haven't been going to confession in church because you messed up really bad? Yeah. You messed up really bad. Get to confession. <laughs> That's well, no, That's what I, the I, sacrament is for. Right. And, and I've had people tell me, well, you know, I, I, I need time. I need time to get strong to go to confession. No, 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 no. You don't get strong to go to confession. You go to confession to get strong. And exactly. uh, this, this whole notion that we, that we need to do X, Y, Z. And, and I, I struggled with this for years and years and years. Lord, I, I, I'm not going to fail you again. Lord, I'm not going to fail you again. Lord, I'm not going to fail again. After a while, I got tired of promising God what I was going to do for him. And it finally dawned on him that, I said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. Help me. Show me what you can do through me. When my prayers stopped becoming what I can do for you and started becoming what you can do through me, Ed, it just changes the whole landscape, doesn't it? It does. That's exactly what it does. As soon as you start putting yourself first, that goes against the first commandment. The first commandment is, thou shalt love the God, or the Lord thy God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And so you have to love God, put him first in every area, uh, area of your life. You can't put him second. You have to put him first. And when you do that, then all of a sudden, then you start walking with him. And when you walk with him, then he'll he'll guide you. He'll show you the way. He'll he'll keep you from death. He'll do all kinds of things for you. What, what was that greatest commandment again? The first commandment is uh, love the Lord your God with your whole heart. Don't have not not have strange gods before me. How many people put strange gods before them? The the last time you said it was whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, and whole strength. That's Lewis, the four does that sound familiar, Lewis? <laughs> yes, it does. That's the four persons. Yes, it does. Yeah, but but that's what we have to do. We have to put God first in every area of our life. Don't have strange gods before me. People put work before them. They put people before God. They put their jobs before God. They put their cars before God. They put their homes before God. They put their job. I mean, they put everything before God. And, and God, here's one. Here's and one. if I can also add uh, something, I remember I watched a video about, about like uh, by Ascension Presents by Father Mike Smith. Mm-hmm. He made an excellent oh. video on that. Uh, is God in the center of your life? Yes. And he he identifies three aspects of our lives to show us if we're putting God first or not. One, yeah. our media. Two, our money. And three, our first fruits. Like, is God the first person I seek out in the day? Is you know, am I donating to the church and to like charitable causes by the church uh, instead of you know just spending all my money on my own desires? Um, right. Right. Now here's one. Here's one that you didn't mention, but I think it's a big one. I think it's a big one. In fact, I think it's the biggest one. At least in terms of what Jesus confronted in the scriptures. Okay. Okay. Putting. Putting my own ego first, my own pride first, my yeah. own self-image first. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. Two people walked into the temple. One was a Pharisee and one was a reprobate. And I'm paraphrasing here. The par- I don't have the scripture right in front of me, but the Pharisee said, oh, look at me. I'm so wonderful. I tied, you know, all my money. I pray three times a week. I I fast four times a week. I'm thank you, Lord, for making me so wonderful, not like this miserable tax collector over here. Yes. And the tax collector wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. No. How many of us have been in that place? Yeah. Wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a miserable sinner. And Jesus said, Verily I say to you, one of those men walked out of there justified and one didn't. How many times do we see Ed? How many times do we see Lewis? People who are praising Jesus, who are touting the name of Jesus, 
but it's really their own name, their own brand, their own reputation that is their first motivation. It's like the Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites on the street corners blowing the trumpets before them. Yeah. Lot of trumpet, but lot of trumpet blowing going on in the in the in uh, the Christian community. Ed, do you agree? Absolutely, Ed. absolutely. There's no question about that. When I evangelize, we have a little thing that says "Ticket to Heaven," and then you open it up, and it has this prayer about how fast hell, how fast your life is, and then it has a little thing you can go to, and it has Deacon uh, Harold Brooks Sivers give a talk about about God and how wonderful he is and everything. And I've, I've given that to some people and said, Oh, I don't need that. I'm going to heaven anyway. <laughs> and they right. said, no, I don't need that ticket. I mean, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. And I go, yeah. Oh, you got a big surprise coming for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like humility. Okay. Yes. It's kind of like humility. It's, it's uh, what is the clearest sign that you don't have it? when you're absolutely sure that you do. <laughs> exactly. So, so exactly. Salvation is the same way. What's the clearest idea that you're probably going to hell when you're absolutely assured that you deserve heaven? Okay. <sighs> because the difference is those two gentlemen that were inside that temple, neither one of them deserved heaven. They both needed a savior. Difference is the reprobate rec- uh, rep- um, recognized it. And he that recognized is a- that is a, he, such a wonderful prayer. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I say that yeah. all the time. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of how Protestants, they believe, for example, in um, instant, for example, salvation and sanctification. They believe, for example, as soon as you accept Christ, you're automatically guaranteed that ticket to heaven. Um, that is a very big example in a, in a heresy that Protestants believe in. Yeah. They don't believe let me, that. that they, let me correct you just one second. Just I, I want to make one correction. Some Protestants, not oh, yes. a, yeah, Protestants all have different beliefs, but many um, many do believe. You you are right. Not all. Again, it's kind of hard to generalize anything with Protestantism because they all have so many conflicting beliefs on everything. And but as we talked before, the only the only doctrine they have left that they, there is universal agreement on is Sola Scriptura, which ironically is the very same doctrine that's causing them to have all these conflict and interpretations in right. the first place. But I um, do believe there are some Protestants. I, I do believe there are some Protestants that are going to be saved. I do believe yes. there are some Protestants that yeah, that's, are very that's what the sincere. Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches, if you actually um, – and, you know, traditional Catholics, even myself, I used to get mad at that, but then I understood and, you know, we relied on the teachings of the church and it's why it didn't contradict our previous teaching. Because what it's saying is that um, Protestants are saved because they come from the Catholic Church and by coming from the Catholic Church and being baptized in the Trinitarian formula, they are still uh, in, in, in um, not in perfect union with the Catholic Church, but they're still in a technicality in a way still in the church, right. which is how they're saved. That's true. Yeah. Because uh, it says there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church from right. uh, councils in the past. And and that means that the church, what is the church? The church is when you do the Trinitarian baptism and when you, uh, you know, have Jesus as a personal relationship with you. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And if you don't have it also a involves it, it also involves submission to the, the leaders that Christ appointed to. But, um, yes. We don't deny this either. But um, next Sunday's what episode, by... Ed, I, we're, I'm sorry for interrupting, but we've only got like 11 minutes left on the live stream, so I wanted to make sure I get this out while we're still on the air. Right. In next sorry. week's episode, no, it's no no apology, but I just want to make sure I get this out live. Um, in next week's episode, I want to cover two things. We talked, to, we touched on private revelations, and I want to talk about the dangers of chasing around every private revelation that there that there is, and not following those that the church has approved. And the second thing is, I want to talk about synergistic grace. I want to talk about this concept that we are saved. It is grace alone by which we're saved. Without God's grace, we have no chance of salvation. However. We must cooperate with that grace. We must accept it. We must cooperate with it. And I'd really like to really hammer home those two themes next Sunday, if you have no objection, Ed. I have no objection to that. 
because uh, I know a lot about those mystics, and there's some crazy ones, and there's some good ones. <laughs> so. There are some. There are some very good ones. I mean, uh, we have a a storehouse of incredible mis- uh, miracles that have happened in the history of the Catholic Church. I mean, just lords, just just lords. Not, not only you know the and and Saint Bernadette is one of my absolute favorite saints. I named one of my daughters after her. My my wife's name is Bernadette. <laughs> yeah, and 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 the story of Saint Bernadette is fascinating enough. Uh, and that she's an incorruptible, but then the spring, the miraculous cures. I mean, the the cure of wow. we could do a whole show on the miracle of John Trainer uh, at yeah. the spring at Lourdes. Uh, but then you got Fatima, you got Guadalupe, you got uh, Mount Carmel, you got La Salette, you got uh, Pont Maine, you got Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal. I mean, we could oh, go yeah. on and on. And then Eucharist miracles, uh, Eucharistic yeah. miracles. Hundred and fifty. Uh, so far. We could go on and on and on and on and on, but then you got people following this crazy stuff of Maria Divine Mercy and this other. Oh, yeah, this, yeah, Maria Divine Mercy is a nut. Yeah, you just have some of this awful, and some of the stuff that's come out of Garibaldi and Medjugorje is just crackpot stuff. Like, like God was going to end the entire world over a bloody handkerchief. I mean, it's just crazy, Gosh. crazy I stuff. Know. Now, Garibaldi, uh, you know, I, I know a lot about that. And uh, the four girls that were up there, and the Blessed Mother appeared to them. And uh, Conchita, the, the oldest, she's now in her 70s. She was kneeling down, and she got communion on the tongue. She said St. Michael gave her communion on the tongue. And uh, then all of a sudden, everybody saw it one day. They saw that. And so that was amazing. And Padre Pio believed in the about about the illumination of conscience, I should call it the illumination of conscience, because uh, there's been people who've sung that. In fact, Church Pop had a story of a Hollywood star that had the illumination of conscience, where she saw her soul exactly how God saw it. But we just changed. But we just have to be very, very careful not to be yeah. promoting uh, events that are not formally approved by the church. That that's exactly. something we have to be very, very careful of because it's it's bowing to their um authority on that. And then and like I said, the second thing I want to talk about is how we cooperate uh with, with grace. So I'll I'll turn it back over to you. We got seven seven and a half minutes left of the live stream. We we cooperate with grace through the sacraments. Um exactly. Exactly. We do. Now, uh, one of the things um, that happened to me on the strip, this is not on the topic at all, but <laughs> this happened to me on the strip. I was uh, uh, handing out miraculous medals and rosaries and everything else, and this guy came up to me, and he said, um, your church is just a bunch of pedophile priests. I can never belong to a church like that. And I said to him, look. Jesus fasted for 40 days before he chose his 12 apostles, apostles, right? And he said, yes. And then I said, and he chose his 12 apostles. He taught them everything to spread the gospel. He taught to them, uh, to the world, right? And they would say, yes. And then I said, well, one of them denied him three times, Peter, and one of them doubted him, Thomas, and two of them said they were better than the others and wanted to be sitting there, his right hand and his left hand. In, in the kingdom, James and John, and one of his hand-picked ones betrayed him, Judas. Some may say five of Jesus' hand-picked apostles were losers out of the 12 he picked. But if you just take one of his 12, Judas, we know he that Judas betrayed Jesus, and one of the 12 is 8%. The Catholic Church's study had less than half of Jesus's percentage, under 4%. And of that 4%, half were not guilty. I know this for a fact, because I was called when I was in high school by a, a classmate of mine. He said, hey, you want to make $25,000? I said, how? And he said, say that Father Mark abused you. And I said, he didn't, though. And he said, well, don't you want to make $25,000? All you have to do is say it. And I said, no, I'm not going to say a lie. And so he hung and, up. Um, if I could add a quick thing to what you're saying too not only are the catholic priests that do these are in the minority but protestants have the same problem and in equal and even often higher rates 10 times that's just before 
It's just before yeah. the media didn't cover them, and the L- media Lewis, itself has admitted. Lewis, it's ten times, according to a study by uh, Philip Jenkins that was done commissioned by Penn State University, Protestant clergy abused at a rate of ten times that of Catholic clergy and public school employees like teachers yeah. are ten Female are ten teachers, times yeah. that number. They have one a day. I was just even one School teachers. School so, I mean, like, this is a very, very big double standard the Protestants have. Like, it kind of reminds me, to, before you look at the, the, the splinter in your, in your neighbor's eye, look at the log in your well, own. Well, I want to say one thing on this that everybody needs to hear. I had to learn this the hard way because my family is, has experienced this horrific stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I asked somebody, and it, and, it, and it wasn't a clergy member in our case, but... I know uh, the you know these types of crimes, but I asked a, I asked a, a, a counselor one time why is it that so many Catholic priests and Protestant ministers and Cub Scout leaders and teachers be, uh, become pedophiles? And she said, John, you don't get it, you don't understand. Catholic priests and Protestant ministers and Cub Scout leaders and teachers do not become pedophiles. Pedophiles become Catholic priests and Protestant ministers and Cub Scout leaders and teachers. That's right. They are predators first, first and foremost, and they put themselves in situations where they will be trusted and they have access to children. So they are they're infiltrators. They're they're you know they're wolves exactly. sheeping into the flock. That's what that's what they are. And it makes sense that Protestantism has it even worse because it's so much easier for someone to become a, a, a Protestant pastor than it is. A Catholic priest by a landslide. You have to have. Uh, you have to be a pretty patient pedophile to to you know to go through all of just to molest and, a child. And I well, want to say I, one more thing. I want to say one more thing. We got three minutes, and I want to get this out. And and I know both of you agree with me. I don't care if you are a Catholic priest, Protestant minister, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. You harm a child. I want you prosecuted to the absolute full extent of the law. And I think you I both agree. agree with me on that, right? I agree. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's uh, the problem that we have. My father studied to be a Jesuit priest. I said that. And he told me and my brother, not my sisters, I have four sisters, but he told me and my brother that he quit because of the rampant homosexuality in the seminary and this is in the 1930s, 1930s, and the homosexuality in the 30s in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Is that amazing? Well, we also we have to remember we've been infiltrated um, by some people outside of the Catholic Church. We are working to get rid of them, but mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense that, you know, homosexuals are joining, you know, Catholic communists to live out their homosexuality unless they're trying to do harm to the church. Uh, um, I have one. I have one more closing argument, folks. And this, this to me yeah. is the, this to me is the clincher. Somebody told me of all the evil that has happened over the entire history of the Catholic Church. Doesn't isn't that proof to you that it could not possibly be the institution that was established by Jesus Christ? And my answer to them was no. It's absolute proof that it absolutely was the institution. Established by Jesus Christ And they said how can you say that Well very very simply Could any institution Could any human institution Inflict as much damage On itself As the Catholic Church has Over 2000 years And still be standing If it was only a human institution Not a chance Not a chance In addition to that The fact that all other Christians Come from us Just simply gives it away and but it's I mean, not the Catholic Church doing damage on itself. It's bad. It's bad former Catholics. And, but the fact know, the that, that damage. But the fact that that damage has not been able to bring this institution down in two thousand years speaks of its divine foundation, because every we have outlived every evil empire in the history of the world. True. And and we're still standing. And we've outlived all the damage that we have done to ourselves through scandal and sin and simony and 
and and corruption. Don't and, say it's, it's to ourselves because it's not it's not that the Catholic Church is doing this to itself. It's bad Catholics that are that were doing that, and bad Catholics I, and bad people that'll be everywhere. I, I'm not uh, I'm not trying to say that it is um, uh, it, that that it's something that's condoned or it's something that good Catholics are doing. What I'm saying is is all of that damage. It's all of those Judases that have that have snuck into our midst have not been able to destroy the foundation of the of the church. So it has not been destroyed by the wolves from the outside and it has not been destroyed by the wolves that have gotten inside. Neither one has been able to bring the institution down. Proves our divine foundation. Do you agree, Ed? I absolutely I agree. agree. I agree. Um absolutely. either one of you, Ed or Lewis, would you would you end us with a closing prayer, please? Lord Jesus, we just pray and thank you for this time together today. Thank you for the education that we've given to people. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to fill our hearts, our minds, our souls, our entire beings with your love, your grace, and your beauty, and all the things that you've done for us, Holy Spirit. We ask you, Jesus, to continue to walk with us and be with us in every area of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. And uh, we should be back 7 o'clock Eastern time tomorrow night for Mm -hmm. the uh, four-person show with John and Lewis. Looking forward to it, Lewis. See you tomorrow, brother. All right. God bless bless you. Bye-bye.